0: Glass is in memory of Jared Olchen, and today we will learn about the Sadducees, a movement that was in the time of the Second Temple, and we will learn it because it has to do with laws in this fixed Parsha, quite a few laws. The Sadducees, were. it started by the third generation of the Second Temple. In the, in the, in the ethics of our fathers, in Pirke Avot, we read about Yosef ben Yoeza, a rabbi, and he, he was the third generation of Shimon the and then was a Rambamliar, I think, and he was the third generation. In any case, he he made a statement, and this statement caused the beginning of a movement. At least, according to some opinions, he said like this: He said, "When you serve your master, when you serve God, do not serve him because you." because it's going to reward you or because it's the right thing to do. We have reward in the Torah itself in a few places. For example, one of the places that's written reward is where?
1: Neshma.
0: Neshma. we, Shema. In Shema. we before the Shma.
1: Ten Commandments.
0: We're in the Ten Commandments.
1: Uh, Page 263.
0: <laughs> oh, see inside. Yeah, I or know your father and mother. I know your father and mother. 263 in top. I just want to read this line, go ahead.
1: Honor your father and your mother so that your days may be lengthened upon the land that Adonai your God has given you.
0: You should live long. And it's written and it will be good to you. It's written in the other place. Then and there is, like you say in the Shema, if the, if you will observe the commandment, God will give you all. Then came came the rabbi and he said, um, No, I think it was Antigonus. I'm sorry. It was Antigonus No, who was it? I have to bring a just to make sure. I don't make a mistake. So the of the product, right? I do not make a mistake. I remember it was or not. Yeah, also, um, no, Antigonus said it. Antigonus said that it, it was the ter- it was uh, Shimon Atzadik, and Antigonus was the, the disciple of Shimon Atzadik, the second generation. Shimon Atzadik was the rabbi, was the first, he was the first high priest in the time of the beginning of the second temple. His disciple was Antigonus. He said it in the name of his rabbi, Shimon It means it was right in the beginning of the second temple, started the whole thing. And he said, do not be like the um, do not be like servant who serve the master for the sake of receiving reward a reward, but, be, but rather be like the servant who serve the master without the, the intent of receiving a reward. That's what he said. He had two disciples, this Antigonus. One was Tzadok and one was Bitus. And they started to think. Why is the rabbi tells us to walk not for the reward? Mm-hmm. Obviously, he knows something we don't know. Obviously, he thinks that there is no reward after life. He wants to tell us, don't, he tried, wants us not to disappoint us. He wants to tell us, that, because Antigno said that in a way of, don't do it for, them, for the reward, do it because it's the right thing to do. Do it because Hashem told you to do it. Do it because it's the opportunity to connect to Hashem. But they translated in the wrong way. They said, oh, he doesn't want us because there is no reward. And they started little by little a movement, and it was named after Tzadok, that's Dukim, the Sadducees, or a movement who said that it's all oh, idea because they're all about reward and afterlife is not written in the Bible. They said that's not true. And they didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead because it's not written in the Bible. And they didn't believe in the olamaba in afterlife because it's not written in the Bible. They didn't believe in reward and punishment. And little by little, it started a whole movement. That behind this movement was that the concept was we believe only in what's written in the five books of Moses, what's in the text. Whatever is not in the text doesn't exist. In Judaism, in Rabbinic Judaism, it's just the opposite. It's not at all what is written in the text. It's all about what's not written in the text. The way we received it, is the, the, the way we learned it, and so on and on. And in this week's Parsha, there's a perfect example for this. Um...
2: It.
0: It's on page three at uh, two ninety eight. Actually, we'll start on page two ninety seven.
1: Number 22. If men will fight and they strike a pregnant woman, causing her to miscarry, but there is no fatal injury to the woman, he, the guilty one, is to be punished with a monetary penalty. When the husband demands compensation, he shall pay as determined by the judges.
0: Okay. If the, if he, he, two guys are fighting <clears throat> and somehow she got involved in the fight, nobody called her them. And he hurt her, and she lost the babies. But she's, she's okay. Then you have to, um, you, he has to pay a monetary penalty for it. Number 23.
1: Uh, however, if there is a fatal injury, you shall give up a life for a life.
0: You give up a life for a life.
1: This is one of the major verses supporting abortion. You know, uh, it's the source for abortion.
0: That's the source okay. of abortion. It's okay. not fair to say the so- so, so abortion, this is talking about an accident. If you have to kill a person for killing, it for unintentionally killing, now, once again, it says if, 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 he, if he killed a woman, basically, then it's a life for a life, right? Let's see what Rashi says. However, if there is a fatal injury, right? Okay. okay. Uh- 23. 23.
1: 23. However, if there's a fatal injury to the woman, you shall give up a life for a life. Our sages have differing opinions regarding this matter. Some say that it means literally a life. Others, however, say it means monetary compensation, but not literally a life.
0: Why? Okay, first of all, there is two opinions. One opinion says it's a life for a life. Nefesh, tachat nefesh. You kill the woman, the person should be killed. Capital punishment. The other opinion says No. It's, again, a monetary payment. Why we don't kill him? Why don't kill Mr. A when he killed the woman? Because... Wait, I just have a quick question on that. One second. Was, let's just finish the thought. Okay. Go ahead. Okay.
1: For one who intends to kill one person and kill another is exempt from the death penalty.
0: Oh, he didn't plan to kill the woman, right? She got involved. He had a fight with another guy. She got involved in the fight. Nobody called her there for whatever reason. Then it's not, it's not your business. And then he, he killed her but it doesn't, it, doesn't have to, it doesn't have to be killed because it didn't have an intention to kill the woman. Then what I mean to say is, you mentioned before about abortion, it does mean that abortion is kosher. It doesn't, it's not being killed for the abortion because it didn't plan to, I mean, it doesn't kill for, for the babies who, who died, because it didn't plan to kill, her, to kill them, then it cannot be any proof for anything. You understand what I'm saying?
1: I know a lot of people, traditionalists use this as one of the sources for... for
0: but do you understand? That. According mm-hmm. to this opinion, mm-hmm. even when you kill the mother, you are not being killed because it was unintentionally. Mm-hmm. The, the same thing is, I mean, to say it doesn't have to do with any... With, uh, with, uh, it doesn't make it kosher, that's what I'm saying. In any case, but in other places, nefesh tachat nefesh, if your person killed one, Mr. A., he will be killed, he will be put to death, and you're not allowed to take any money for it or anything. If Mr. A went intentionally to kill Mr. B, Jewish law says that Mr. A has to be put put to death. That was the the original Jewish law. Now, in reality, it was almost never happened. The rabbis have so many, uh, what is the right word for it? So many rules around it. That it's almost impossible to put anybody to death in Jewish law, even in biblical times. For sure today it's not used. It only can be done when there is a Sanhedrin. A Sanhedrin means a bay of 71 rabbis. When they were sitting by the temple. Then we are talking already about something that didn't happen for 29,000 years. I mean, close to, to, to 20, 20, 20, 20, 2,000 years for sure. And the had to be, there was only one bay who can even put somebody to death. It's only in the Supreme Court in Jerusalem. And while they were sitting by the temple, if, they, if the Supreme Court at Sanhedrin moved to another city, they cannot do this anymore. Now, even when they were sitting there, there is a lot of laws that it makes it very complicated. You need to have two witnesses who warned Mr. A, that if you'll kill Mr. B, he will be deserving death. Two kosher witnesses. And these two witnesses are being interrogated from day and from day and night until to prove that name. and only if they saw it. A video will not be acceptable in the court. If you walk in and you see him holding it a knife and he's bleeding and the the guy is leaning on the floor, if you didn't see him killing him, doesn't mean doesn't make a difference. I mean you cannot put him to death. And Another very, very interesting law is, in America, the law is that if you, that you need to have the, the all, the, um, the jury has to be, every, all the 12 uh, jurors have to agree, right? Mm-hmm. For capital punishment, for things like this.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Huh? Mm-hmm. Not, yeah, it has to be, if not, it's a own jury. Not for money. For money, everybody has to agree?
1: Eight. No,
0: but only for uh, yeah, yeah, life, punishment. only for capital yeah. punishment. Mm-hmm. In Jewish law, if the 71 rabbis, judges, agree that this person has to be killed, it goes on. If all 71 rabbis will agree that this man has to be killed, he goes on. Why? Because they will now be witnesses. How is it possible that 71 rabbis, no one of them saw the, the, the event, the incident, all of them agree that he has to be killed. Something is not right. Something is impossible. So what you want, on anything? <laughs> Obviously, they have an agenda. They hate him. They, that he goes on. It has to be a majority who agrees, but also not a small majority. It has to be two. More than the, let's be 37 or whatever it is, two ahead more than they, they think that he deserves that, Then, uh, than a majority of two, not just of one more than the other side. In top of it, if the, if the, if the court, if the, uh, if the person himself is already being taken to, 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 to be killed, he says, I have something to say for myself, they take him back to court, they reconvene the whole place, and they do it. The day that they have to come to this conclusion, they are fasting. The witnesses who give testimony, they are the not have to kill him. They say, you said you have to do it, you do it. Ah, you're not sure. Ah, you're not sure. Then we don't do it. You guys have to do it. And so on and on, and there is a whole, there is many, many more laws about it. To make it impossible to kill a person. But the original law is you kill them. Rabbi, Rabbi Akiva said, Rabbi Akiva was after the destruction of the temple, I mean, at least by the end of the, by the destruction of the temple, he said, if I would be sitting in the Sanhedrin, nobody would ever be killed. A Sanhedrin who killed one person in 70 years is considered a, a killing Sanhedrin, like a Sanhedrin who kills people. Basically, in reality, it almost never happened. But there is other, there is there is emergency show, uh, rules, and that's a whole different. Uh, in any case, but the meaning is a life for a life. Now comes the next law, page 299.
2: 24. You want to read the yes, please. Um, compensation on eye for an eye, of a tooth for a tooth, of a hand for a hand, and a foot for a foot.
0: Okay, if you see what's going on here, the word compensation of is in parentheses. In the text, it's written an eye for an eye, a foot for a foot, an end for an end. Literally, Mr. A pulled out Mr. B's eye, you pull out his eyes. Here came the rabbis and said, no, we are not talking about literally taking out the other person's eye. How the rabbis knew it? Simple. They saw it in the bathing before them, and the court before them, and the generation before them, and ten generations before them, nobody ever did it. That's how they knew but when Moses made the law, he said, it's not me, we don't mean literally. Because Jews never did it. They never pulled out anybody's eyes, they never burned anybody when he did it. What do you do? It's compensation. How you do the compensation? Lawyers, how mm-hmm. you you are, or how you How measure the the, the worth of a person? Even today you do it. How okay. do the insurance pay for it? What's, mm-hmm. the, what's there, the formula?
1: There, there are economic ways of taking a look at it. There's pain and suffering. There's mental anguish. There's uh, scarring.
0: Beautiful. There That's exactly how Jewish law says to do mm-hmm. it. All of this, yes. And you pay the money. Why the rabbi said you cannot... Yeah, it doesn't make sense to do it literally because if Mr. A made the other guy lose his sight, eyesight, but it's only 80% of his loss of his eyesight, but how exactly are you going to cause the other guy only 80%? Maybe you'll cause it 85 maybe 90 that you didn't do what you're supposed to do. It's not an eye for a eye. It's not fair. Then the pain that Mr. A has for pulling out his eye, Mr. B might have a much stronger pain and might put him risk his life and so on and on. What I mean to say is you can never do it exactly the same and therefore the, the rabbi says that uh, uh, you cannot uh, you you're not allowed to do it and, and Moses when Moses said an eye for an eye he said I mean to say to compensate why Moses said an eye for an eye if he means compensation because he wanted to say the Torah wants to tell us something really we have to pull out your eye It's so terrible, that's what you really deserve. In reality, we are going to be nicer to you, kinder to you. The Sadducees, who were believing in the Bible, just the text, they said a nine for a nine, right? If you have to take out a nine, whatever it's written, that they end up to be more cruel than the Rabbinic Jews. Did they actually enforce that? I mean, they didn't write sure things enforce themselves, it. but... Uh, they enforced the law? I mean, mm-hmm. in their bad in their times, that they were in control. I'm sure they enforced the law. But what I mean to say is, it doesn't make a difference if they actually enforced or not, but I mean to say the way that they learned the Bible, they are more cruel. Cool. Then we see that the way the rabbis trans- come, uh, explain the Bible and the commentary of the rabbis is a more friendly commentary. It's a more loving to another, from Jew to Jew. Wherever there is a matter of not insulting or not hurting another Jew, the rabbis took always the easy commentary, t- the more lenient way of the law, not the stricter way. And the same thing is about the hand and about a li- uh, leg, continue, about a foot. Um, Which one?
1: 24?
0: Yeah, yeah, 25. Oh. Uh. Compens- Go ahead. Compensation of a burn for a burn, one for a wound. A bruise for a bruise. A bruise for a bruise. Again, compensation, not, not, a, not, a, not a literal thing. It's only about compensation. And it started a long, long argument of hundreds of years between the Sadducees and the Pharisees. The Pharisees were the Jews, the rabbinic Jews, the Jews who learned the rab, who believed in the Talmud and the commentary. And the argument was on many parts in the Torah, many laws, because many laws are, 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 are different. Where it's written in the Bible that you're not allowed to make a fire on Shabbat. Oh, where is this written? It's in Dvorim. It's in Dvorim? I think it's also not written anywhere in Shmois. No, here it's written to observe the Shabbat. It's not written. in, in, In any case, it's written in the Torah. You not have to make a fire on Shabbat, right? The rabbis say you're not allowed to make the fire on Shabbos, but you can enjoy the fire on Shabbat. I mean what does this mean? You're allowed to turn on the light before Shabbat and enjoy the light on Shabbat. You're allowed to turn on the stove before Shabbat and cover up the stove with a, blech, right, with a metal, and then put the tshol the on the top of it and enjoy it. You're allowed to do the eating. Can you imagine sitting in Cleveland zero degrees like today? And we're not allowed to use on Shabbat uh, eating from that was two night before Shabbat. You're allowed to do it. The Sadducees they said, no, you're not allowed to do it. They said you're not allowed to have fire on Shabbat, to enjoy fire on Shabbat. That they were sitting in the dark and they were and they were cold and it eat cold food, not allowed. Can you imagine? Jewish people will survive without Cholent. Did they go to services? Mm, No, I don't think it was not before the days of services. I mean, it started in the beginning of the Second Temple. I don't know how many services there. (laughs) But what I mean to say is that's one of the traditions why we eat Cholent and Shabbos is to prove that they are wrong, that we don't agree with them. That's why. What other mitzvah and Shabbat they didn't allow because of this philosophy? Lighting candles. lighting candles. The whole idea of lighting candles for Shabbat is why you light the candles before Shabbos. You should enjoy the light on Shabbat, and the enjoyment has three explanations. One explanation is to bring peace in the home. That if the husband comes at night and walks into the house and he falls on something, and then he is blaming his wife. You couldn't. Why you put it in the middle of the room? Then to save the fight on Friday night, we have candles. The other explanation is in honor of Shabbat. Any time when you have a special guest, you light candles. The Third explanation: to eat. When you eat in the dark, you don't enjoy the food. In any in any fancy restaurant, you turn, you light they have candles on the tables, right? It's, it's romantic, it's beautiful. Okay. Now, if if you are a Sadducee, the Sadducee says you're not allowed to enjoy light on Shabbos. That the old myths of candle lighting that started with our mother Ab- Sarah. Abraham's wife, 4,000 years of Jewish women lighting candles every Friday night was gone. But it was written in
2: the Torah.
0: It's not written in the Torah. Lighting candles is not written in the Torah. Good that you brought it. No, it's not written in the Torah. Lighting candles is not a biblical law. It's a rabbinic law. Sarah started it, but it's not written in the Bible. It's very good. It, that's one of the seven rabbinic laws, is lighting candles. Is a... We say a blessing for it. God commanded us, and the Talmud says, and we really God commanded us, it's not written in the Bible. It's written in the Bible that we have listened to the rabbis. That's the commandment. Then you write lighting candles. That was another that's not written in the Bible, and therefore they said you don't do it. And many, many more laws, and we'll see even laws that are written in this week's parsha are also they were fighting, and usually their way was a much more uh, painful way to do things. Wherever it was uh, talking about respect and love of of the Jewish people, the rabbi's interpretation of the law was more lenient. Um, One second. There is a law written here in the, in the, in, the, in this parsha about you're not allowed to to cook a a calf in his mother's milk, right? Mm-hmm. Here it is, um, page three forty-seven. Actually, I start at page 346, so the verse. Then you want to read it? Number 19. 346, number 19, in top of the page.
2: My Pesach sacrifice? Mm-hmm. Uh, 19.
0: 19. 19. Mm-hmm. Right, oh, yeah. I see. Okay.
2: The beginning of the first fruits of your land must be brought to the house of Adonai, your Lord. You must not cook a young animal in the milk of its mother.
0: That's it. You must not, you must not cook a young animal in the milk of its mother. Now we'll see the Rashi. On the Rashi, on page 347, you must not cook a young animal.
2: A calf and a sheep are also implied in G'di,
0: Mm-hmm. Because gedi
2: Because gedi represents any tender newborn animal, as can be inferred from the fact that you find in a number of places in the Torah that Gedi is written, and it is necessary to. Okay, we'll after. skip
0: this 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 part. We'll go to the bottom of this page. The prohibition of lote vashel g'di is written three times in the Torah. You see it?
2: hmm Go once, ahead. Once to prohibit the eating of meat cooked with milk, another to prohibit deriving any benefit from them, and once to prohibit cooking them.
0: Okay. It's written in the Bible, the same law, three times. Do not cook the, the, the cat with his mother of milk. And the rabbis say, one is for not cooking, one is for not eating, and one is for not selling, basically. You cannot sell a cheeseburger. If you have a non-kosher restaurant, you cannot sell cheeseburgers. Because you cannot benefit from milk and meat together. The Sadducees, that the all milk and meat together is not written clear in the Torah. Whatever it's not written clear in the Torah, I didn't find out what they did. But that's, what's not, that's, that's, that's not in the Torah. they also, there is, what was the what was their, their interest in this way of learning things many things they made they, they was life their life was much easier they didn't have to observe many laws it's not written in the Torah. i don't have to do it and many laws in the torah are not written clear that whatever they did was also a problem it's already a commentary that they made up they had to make up their own rules no matter what they said we don't accept the commentary from the bible that you have that Many things, you must have a commentary. For example, um, you have to put a sign between your eyes, right, in the Shema, and your hand and and your arm between your eyes. What's the sign that's not written? Whatever sign you're going to choose is a commentary. And you say, I don't accept the commentary of a rabbi. It's okay, that you have to make up a commentary. You cannot say, I'm going by the literal text, because the literal text doesn't tell you what to do. And the Torah has many, many examples for it. That it doesn't let you they tell you, then what I mean to say is this is another example. Then the rabbis learned in this a lot of and they they didn't they didn't learn the display, and they and they and eventually nothing was left from the Sadducees. You know anybody with a descendant of a Sadducee? I never met one. I was going to ask you. Well, the,
1: the Karaites adopted the same philosophy. Oh, the later. the
0: Karaites was a movement. The Sadducees disappeared by the end of the Second Temple. Then later. It was in the time in the fifth century maybe even later um, maybe earlier was a rabbi was ahead ahead of uh, you okay. know, in the used to you know we say in the prayers the exilax yes mm-hmm. mm-hmm. exilax means the head of the exile they used to be in babylon used to be the head of the exile like a king of the jewish people once was a guy that he felt that he should be his father died he was the head of the jewish people he felt that they should appoint them and they appointed his brother you no know, in jewish people what do you do if you've done this you open your own shoe right <laughs> and he went and he opened his own shul he started his own movement and they called themselves Karaites and they basically the same idea a little bit different they said that they accept the rabbinic law but they also confused themselves and contradicted themselves and so on and on and on and from them, there is a little bit left, not much. Not, not uh,
2: much.
0: <laughs> they were in Egypt, a little bit of the Karait movement. In uh, Russia was at one point a little bit of the Karaite movement, but not, uh, not left. They, they became a part of the Jewish people. Some of them assimilated. Some of them joined the regular Jewish traditional Jews, and that's it. There's was not left from them much. What I mean to say is, but here is another example. There is other examples in the Bible they were uh, different there is a Talmudic story about Yohanan Gadol in the time of the second temple that was when they were very strong and the good days they controlled the second temple the rich community the powerful community they were all Sadducees the rabbinic Jews were the outside the the people are weak a strong Jewish community was Sadducees because it was it was ultimately it was easier to be a Sadducee than to be a to be a traditional Jew. And they were. At one point, happened that Yohanan the High Priest who was a very righteous man, and according to the Talmud, he was eighty years serving as High Priest. What does this mean to be eighty years High Priest? It means to say that you were, you were in the he walked into the Holy of Holies every year and came out alive. Obviously, were holy, right? Then the Talmud says eight years. Whatever it was, it was. He was for sure a holy man, and in the end of his life, he became a Sadducees. What it means? He became a Sadducees. He stopped to believe. He denied afterlife. No reward, no afterlife, and he died. Then the Talmud says another story. Many years later, in the Talmudic time, was a guy with the name Elazar ben Durdaya. Elazar Ben Dodaya was a guy who enjoyed life, and he was a womanizer. And the Talmud says that once he was with a woman, the pastor told that he paid a lot of money, a ganzer maize, the most expensive one, and she told them "You, you will not. You're doomed. God, God will never accept your your repentance, your tshuva. You, it's over." And when he heard it, for some reason. His world, like, started to drive him crazy, and it started to bother him more and more and more. Finally, he went and he cried, and cried to do tshuva. He asked from God for tshuva, and he cried and cried and cried and cried and cried until he died. When a voice from heaven came out, that said, "They called him Rabbi. Rabbi Elazar ben Dordaya is welcome." To the world to come at that time was a life rebi was rabbi uda the prince he was the one judah the prince was the one who was the author of the mishnah right he wrote down the mishnah that story is obviously if rebi was alive it was 70 years after the destruction of the second temple something like this he cried and he said there is a person who buys his, his afterlife in one hour it was almost a disappointment, you know. We are here walking every day, going to show every Shabbos. And my neighbor, look at him! Is it fair? Then the question is that's the story. And he ends the story, the Talmudic story. Then comes the book of Sefer Agil I think. And they asked the book of the re- uh, reincarnations. And they asked, and in this book, is written, there is an old question, it's written everywhere. How can you beget re- reward in the world to come? What means a reward? A reward means a retirement, enjoying the retirement plan. You invest money a whole life, then you have a retirement plan. But if you spent all your money, you didn't invest anything, there's no retirement. What do you mean he went to the Olam Abba? There is no Olam Abba. He didn't do any mitzvah. How could he have a Olam There's nothing there for him. Comes the, comes the Arizal, and he says that Lazar ben Dodaya was a reincarnation of Yohanan, the high priest. And Yohanan, the high priest, when he came to heaven, he had a big olam he had a huge apartment, a huge portfolio ready for him. <laughs> but he couldn't open the door. They told him, you, olam didn't you deny that? You said there is no Olama haba, right? Goodbye. You cannot, get, you, don't, you cannot get something you don't believe in and he came back. This time, he had fallen all his life. But before he died, he did shuvah. He repented and he believed in everything. Now he got the key for his reward from his past life, that he walked on his past life. And therefore, it, he, was able, he, he, was, he was able to go to Lama But well, This is a story about a guy who was a... Was a Traditional Jew for a lifetime and before he died he became a Sadducees and he had to come again to the world to be able to Cash in for all his good lives that he did all his good mitzvahs that he did throughout his life now There is other places in the Bible where he talks about with the Sadducees and the argument with the, with the Pharisees It's in the book of Deuteronomy in two places or in three places maybe it's worth it even to take out the book because it'll be easier to to explain, you want to take the books? the fifth book, the last yeah. book, and uh, in this way we will be able to share it from other, in, with other, with everybody. But, but another thing? Thank you. What, um, what, uh, for example, in the, in the in the we have the holidays, Pesach, Shavuot, and Sukkot. In counting <coughs> of the Omer, there is an argument between the Sadducees and the Pharisees. They said, the next day after Shabbat, you count the Omer. That's what the way it's written in the Bible, literally. The Talmud says, it's not the next day after Shabbat, it's the day after Pesach. They say, uh, and, uh, and therefore, they, when they used to do, k- k- bring the Omer to the temple, they used to make a big stink in the time of the Second Temple, to make a point that, that we, don't, we don't accept the way the Sadducees uh, believe. The same thing in Sukkot. There is a law in Sukkot. Then they used to bring water, they used to go to, the, to a river, to a spring in Jerusalem, it's called in Mozart, they used to take some, draw some water and bring it to the temple and pour it, and in the altar was a special hole to pour the water inside. That was a mitzvah that you did it every Sukkot, and you did it as was a way to pray for, the, for rain, for the winter, for water. But it's not written in the Bible clearly. <coughs> then the Sadducees didn't believe in it. Then the story goes, the Talmud tells a story, I think it was Yana Yamelech, was a Jewish king, but he was a convert, whatever, he was, he was a Sadducees. And he came to the temple, he was honored to be the one to pour the water, and because he didn't believe in it, he poured the water on his feet. The whole crowd was in the temple, of traditional Jews, who comes to the temple. The other guys are not busy with the temple. They got so upset with him, they tried to throw on him the heterogs. It was Sukkot. Everybody had Etrog. They bombarded him with heterogs. He had an army of non-Jewish soldiers. He ordered his army in, and it was a massacre inside the temple. Terrible story. It was all because of the fight of the Sadducees and the Pharisees out if it's, to, if it's a traditional way, and that's why... In the time of the second temple, the idea of pouring the water on, on Sukkot used to be done with a big celebration. Everybody used to come to the temple, they used to dance all night, and early in the morning, they used to go with a big parade to bring the water and to... Why you need a big parade? Many mitzvahs were done in the temple. The Quran did it they moved on. Because the Sadducees were the ones who, who said that this is, that this is not uh, written in the Bible, you shouldn't do it, the rabbis made a whole big event of it to make a point that we don't really disagree with them, Every time you see there is some big event, and you ask yourself, what? why the rabbis made such a big deal about it, could very well be because there were people who were doubting it. We don't have to do it. That's not a tradition. It's not written, and so on and on. There is another two places in the Bible, I mean, in, in the book of Deuteronomy, in Parashat Kiteitzer, two laws. You know the laws of a levirate woman? If a person was married and he died without children, right? His wife has to, and his wife doesn't have children, that the brother of the husband should marry the woman. The talking time of the Bible, you were allowed to marry more than one wife. Then he has an obligation. Why? The Torah says because this is how you you, um, you continue your brother's, name your brother's name should not be should not be erased from the Torah from from life from the world in any case what if what if he, if his wife tells him you marry her you're out of here forget about it and he gets an <coughs> ultimatum. What then is he supposed to do? Huh?
1: Go to the next relative.
0: But, but what is he, no, he doesn't, she doesn't go, in the, in the, in the bottom line, he, she doesn't go to the next relative. She, what is he has to do? She's, he is obligated to marry her. What is he has to do? How we disconnect yourself from, she has an obligation to him, he has an obligation to her. They're like married to a point. They don't have to give a get. What is he what supposed to do? That's something. It's called chalitza. You ever heard about chalitza? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah. What do you do?
2: Take off the shoe.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. What? in the face. What? It's been in the face. <laughs> oh, 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 oh. What? What is? What's the story? Yeah,
2: yeah.
0: Oh, here is the text. You know what? Who didn't read it? Take this book. <laughs> I think it's in the, in top of the page though. In the text, in top of the page.
2: 293, okay. If brothers reside together, at the one? Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. one of them dies having no son, let the wife of the dead man not marry outside the family. Continue. To a strange man. Her brother-in-law will consummate with her, thus marrying her to be his wife, and perform Leverite marriage with her. It shall be that the firstborn, when she's capable of bearing children, shall be established in place of his deceased brother, so that his name may not be obliterated from Israel.
0: Beautiful. Then here is the law. She cannot, she cannot marry somebody else. She has an obligation to the... She can say she doesn't like him. He can say he doesn't like her. But the original law is she, that the better way is that he, marries, uh, ma, he, he she marries his brother.
2: Then the Torah continues if he doesn't want to. Go ahead. But if the man will not want to marry his sister-in-law, his sister-in-law must go up to the portal to the judges and say, My brother-in-law refuses to establish for his brother a name in Yisrael. He is unwilling to perform Leverite marriage with me.
0: Oh, no, 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 no. He doesn't want to do it, right?
2: Okay, continue the text. The judges of his city will call him and converse with him. He shall stand and say, I do not want to marry her. And his sister-in-law will approach him in the sight of the judges, and she will remove his shoe from upon his foot and spit before him. And, oh. she, and she will say aloud, this is done to the man who will not build his brother's family.
0: Okay, that's the story. is this the story of uh, Yehuda and uh, Tamar? You, yeah, that's that's a basic story of Yehuda and Tamar. It's a little different because right. that's a, a, it's not written that a father-in-law has to marry. That's what you said, another person in the family. Well, the bottom line, the law is that the brothers have to do it.
2: But the brother, but the brother already must has, be yes. They already went through a cycle with the brother. Yeah,
0: yeah in this case, by Jewish law, you will not uh, you will not have a, a relationship. No, you, the father-in-law is not obligated. Yeah. It was in the biblical time, it was extended, so to speak. People did it even for more, but the law is only the brothers. Yeah,
1: the book of Ruth, it extended. The that book, extended.
0: book of Ruth, exactly, mm-hmm, yeah. it extended, you're right. Mm-hmm. And Ruth was not even, yeah, that was, Boaz, according to the midrash, was Elimelech's a, was a, a brother. He was an uncle, not even, <laughs> not even anything. To Ruth, he was nothing, I mean. He was the uncle of Ruth's wa- husband, basically.
1: And exactly. somebody else had turned it down before him, right?
0: Yeah, another brother. <laughs> okay. It was Plony uh, Plonian it was another brother who wanted to, who, they asked him, you want to marry? You're right. Then what do you do? She takes off his shoes and she speeds, the way it's written in the text, speeds before him. Literally means spitting him in his face. The rabbi said, no, look at the Rashi down. There. There's a Rashi for the spitting. Uh, where is the world spitting down?
2: And spit before him, it says on the ground.
0: On the ground! The rabbi said, not in his face, but on the ground, in front of him, not, in, not before him, not on him. There is another example where the Sadducees are doing the most the most harsh way, the most not respectful way, and where the Jewish law, where the rabbi said, it's not literally in his face, it's, 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 uh, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's only on the floor in front of him. It's true, he didn't do the right thing, he didn't want to marry his sister-in-law, he's a bad boy, it, but it doesn't have to spit him
1: in his face. Are these simply differences in interpretation, or they, is an argument that a separate source is more authoritative?
0: No, the, the, here is the difference. The Sadducee says we don't need sources. We read whatever it's written.
1: It's a literal interpretation exactly. of the text. And the
0: rabbi said, no such thing as a literal interpretation.
1: But of course, you know, literal interpretation got to be very popular as a method of interpretation in the Middle Ages. I mean, Rashi's kind of started it, and then his grandson was much more literal. Ibn Ezra, very kind of literal literalist as well. as a
0: commentary, <laughs> not as a law. You okay. understand? Okay. There is a difference. Rashi, for sometimes Rashi to trans, uh, explains, gives a commentary to the Bible, to a law in the Bible that's not what it's practiced. You understand? The, the, the commentary of, of Rashi is the? He says that's a literal explanation. What is practiced is what we have from a tradition. We don't go by the literal side. It is a perfect example. Um, what mm-hmm. to be an example? There is, a, there is a law in the Torah that says you're not allowed to add to the mitzvahs. You're not allowed to subtract to the mitzvahs. What does this mean? Now, Rashi says you're not allowed to add to the mitzvah itself. Let's say every tzitzit is a, a four a forward string. It's eight, but really it's four, right? Of four talus. We have four corners, right? You're not allowed. I'm, I'm sorry. It was four corners in a talus. Rashi says, what means you're not allowed to add? You're not allowed to add, to add five corners to a to say, or three, or subtract. But you're allowed to add a new mitzvah. That's what Rashi says. The Jewish law is accepted. No, you're not allowed to add another mitzvah. Then you'll ask me how the rabbis added mitzvahs. They never said it's a mitzvah from the Bible. You're not allowed to add a mitzvah and say the Torah said that you have to do this and this. The rabbis came and say we say that you have to do it. But they don't say the Torah said it, you understand? They don't add it. They don't say in addition to the 630 mitzvahs, somebody will come and say there are 640 mitzvahs. But here is an example where Rashi translates the text in one way. Now, I think the Rambam translates the text in another way. And in the way of Jewish law, it's like Rambam. You understand what I'm saying? Not like not my man is not like not like Rashi. Then be trans, trans Commentary commentary to the Bible in a literal way, go ahead. Changing the Jewish law because of it, absolutely not.
1: So what? What then is the source of the Jewish law? I mean, if you take a look at the biblical text, do you then start there, and then apply an interpretive method? Like, do you interpret literally? Do you interpret metaphorically? Or do you then say, well, let's go to the oral law instead, and that's where we find the source of law? Or how does that? No, no,
0: it? it's a combination of these two. The job of the rabbis was to find for every tradition that they know where is the source in the Torah. As I started to say in the beginning of the class, if you how you know how to put on film, so your father taught you, your grandfather taught you. That's tradition. How you know what a lulav and a etrog is? What's a etrog? Etrog is a word that doesn't use today. There is no etrog tree. We know it <coughs> from the Jews. Go take give the Bible to some. Human being who lives in space, not on, the moon, and he reads it in English. Etrog, etrog tree, etrog. He's looking, going on Google. He's looking for the word. No, etrog tree. It's a biblical word for something that doesn't. Then only if the Bible, because you have from tradition. Your father showed you. How you know the difference between a etrog and a, le- and a lemon? It looks the same. You go to the store to tell you that's a etrog, that's a- I don't know. Because you know there is a tradition that these trees are a of trees, and my father had them, my grandfather, and my great-grandfather, my great-great. Great 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 then it's all about tradition. Judaism is based on tradition. Now what the rabbis do, as I said in the beginning, an eye for an eye. Comes out. Saducees and says, "It's written in the Bible, an eye for an eye." Tells them, hey, "Hey, hey, don't get too excited." I never saw my father pulling out anybody's eye. And the rabbi in Shul didn't do it to, his, to, to this. And the rabbis of the rabbis never did it. And they didn't do it in Jerusalem, and not in Tel Aviv, and not in Lod, and not in Cleveland. Obviously, something is not right here. Obviously, we don't learn that in a literal sense. That the rabbis did not need... It, it, it was so clear when they came to this line, it was known. Nobody's doing it. Obviously, that's not a literal sense. You understand what I'm saying? And the, the rabbis had a tradition... And then they had also it was a tradition how to translate everything in the Torah. How you learn, how you compare one thing from the other, and that's how they came to the conclusions.
1: Does the tradition then go back to Sinai in terms of the oral law being from God, or does the tradition go back to the human tradition? Then? It's
0: from Sinai being coming from God. It's written that when Moses was at Mount Sinai, he was 40 days and 40 nights. What was he doing? No movies, no, no internet, no nothing. Not even cell phones. I mean, iPhones, then... He will learn the old Torah. Then the Talmud says how that Moses knew when it's day and when it's night. When God was teaching him the 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 biblical, the written Torah, it was day, and he was teaching him the commentary. It was night. The old tradition was night. And the basic of the old traditions were given from Sinai. Obviously, it was developed and and revealed and so on and on. But he gave the the rules, so to speak, like like American law is being involved. But it has to be based on something, right? You cannot make up your own laws. The same thing is Jewish law. It's based on the Torah. And then God says, listen to the rabbis. That means whatever the rabbis will do, that's the will of God, to listen to them. That even if the rabbis made a mistake, that was the will of God. You understand?
1: The legal concept would be delegating authority to someone else, basically.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Delegating from generation to generation. And that's why it's called the people who give over the tradition from Sinai. There is a whole list in the, in the ethics of our fathers, in Maimonides, of names of rabbis who gave over the tradition from whom. Basically, it's, a, it's giving over the Torah from generation to generation. Then we are not the people of the book. You understand what I'm saying? The Sadducees are the people of the book. You know who gave us the name, the people of the book? Who gave us the name? The Muslims. The Muslims. The Muslims. See, the Jews didn't give them any people the book. We are the people of the tradition who has a book, and the tradition tells us how to understand the book. They're from a book? You cannot know from a book. Because you need to understand what did this mean, how you translate it, how you read it, what it's, how you deal with it. There's a statement in the Bible, eh, what's going on here? So, eh, every time people come and tell me, you know, it's written in the Bible, you have to kill the Amalekites. I can't believe it's written, such a thing. Tell them, why oh, wait, wait, wait a second. Close the book for a second. Anybody around you killing anybody? No. That's a tradition. The book will walk this out. Everything that's written will explain
1: Is it fair to say then uh, that at least in this context, the oral tradition is an interpretive tradition of the text?
0: It's, sure. Interpretive, yeah, exp- it explains. It's a commentary. Interpretive and a commentary to the tradition, to the text.
1: I mean, it obviously adds to the text in other areas, but when, when it comes to a textual issue...
0: Absolutely, I don't take the text for face value. Absolutely not. In, in anywhere. Not about any holiday.
1: Now, it, it, now, I understand that applies in law, in non-law issues, in more philosophical issues. Is it the same way?
0: For example, what do you mean?
1: Um, in the Shema, you know, uh, what... It, what, what what does one God mean? I mean, that's a philosophical issue. Uh, I give an example. It's
0: written, uh, I think it's written in some in the Bible, the eyes of God, right? I'm sorry. The eyes of God are in the land of Israel land, and upon the land of Israel. Do we take it literally that God has eyes? No. That you're right. Even in philosophical issues, we will go with the tradition. Yes, we will not take it at Bible in a literal sense in everything
1: how do we explain the kind of literalist tradition coming out of the middle ages that did start emphasizing the literal interpretation over the metaphorical interpretation
0: i mean it's it's again it's to understand the text you can do you can you can to learn the text okay. that's that's uh, i don't think rashi was the literalist in the way the Sadducees were even rashi's commentary he took the most literal explanation from all the commentaries that are in the Talmud Let's say in the Talmud there is available three explanations to this text. That Rashi took the most, what understood, what's mo- the easiest way, the most easiest way to understand the text on the most literal level. But he didn't make up his own his own commentary. You understand what I'm saying? Rashi took from the Talmud. He chooses there is two explan- two commentaries to it in the in the Gemara and one in the Medrash. And Rashi took he made a combination of all three of them and he came up with this commentary. But he didn't make up his own commentary and his own. And that's what it's very important to understand it. Is the oral Torah and
2: commentaries always evolving like Tanya? Can it keep going on? What do like, you mean? Like can you come it could be something Absolutely. Yeah,
0: every Jew can 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 should as an obligation, we say it in the Amida, the last line in the Amidah, after we finish the Amidah, we say, um, may may it be your Lord, right? Lord our God and God of our fathers. That the beta migdash be speedily rebuilt in our days, and what's the last part? And grant us our portion in your Torah. It means, grant us our portion in your Torah means that every Jew has a part, has his portion in the Torah. Where he has to come up with something, no. What has to be based on, 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 based on everything, and the, and the basics that, and the rules that Moses taught us how to learn the Torah. But yeah. Well, listen, if you give a commentary, if it's not true and nothing happened. as long as you don't change the Jewish law. You say, that's my opinion. If it's, uh, the more proofs that you have in the Bible and in the, in the Talmud for your opinion, the stronger it is. But it's still, you're not going to change the law. The law is the law, and that's why anybody comes and says, oh, we should do it differently, what do they tell them? That we have a tradition like this. That's why, by Judaism, tradition is such a powerful thing. Because it's all based on it. There is a famous story about Ilel the older. It was an argument in the time, in his, in his time. Ilel was in the time of the Second Temple, right? And it, was, it, it happened to be, Pesach happened to be on Shabbat. It means the first Seder happened to be on Shabbat. And they suddenly they had a question. What should you do? Are you allowed the sacrifice, the Passover lamb, has to be slaughtered before the Seder? It means if they say there is Saturday night, Saturday afternoon, you have to slaughter the animal, and Shabbat you don't allow to slaughter. You're not allowed to slaughter animals regularly. The, the question is: the Passover lamb overriding Shabbat or not? For example, the the Shabbos sacrifice overrides Shabbat. In our life, a breeze. a breeze you can do on Shabbos. I did my my grandchild's breeze was on Shabbos because the mitzvah of breeze overrides Shabbat, overrides even Yom Kippur. Then the question was, the Pesach lamb override Shabbat or not? The rabbis at that time were from Bnei Betera, from a family, from a city in Batir. Batir was somewhere in the, in the Hermon, in the Galilee, and, the, and the, the Golanites somewhere around there. In any case, they did not answer. Finally, they said there is one uh, immigrant, his name is Ilal, and he knows. Maybe call him. They called Ilal. And Hilal was the disciple of the rabbis before Shmaya and Naphtalion, who were actually two converts. And, they, and he said, he started to bring proofs from the Bible and from the Talmud and from the days. And he started to say, if you're allowed to, it's called Kalvachomer. if you're allowed to every Shabbos to slaughter the Shabbos and or if 200 sacrifices are allowed to override Shabbat, why not the Pesach sacrifice? And he brought more proofs. All of them, they said, yeah, no. Eh. Finally said, "I have a tradition for my rabbis that you're allowed to do it. Oh you have a tradition now you're talking." That the tradition they accepted because when you see you say, "I saw my rabbi doing it." an explanation, a logic eh, we can play we can twist it in many ways. but then you say that's the way I saw my rabbis doing it that's the way my parents I saw my parents doing it and if your parents what, your parents or your rabbi was a traditional, do somebody that you can trust that's that's stronger than everything. And that's what it's all about, that when in the movie in Fiddler on the Roof they say tradition, they are very right.